0: and welcome back to the healing circle podcast this is a space for conversation meditation and education about all things faith relationships and mental health today we have a very special guest with us uh really just my boo thing kyle uh you want me to introduce you or do you want to introduce yourself
1: um you introduce me this will be good i want Okay. What do you say about me to the pod listeners?
0: <laughs> I think they just listeners.
1: Okay. To the
0: so Kyle is. Um, one of my favorite people and he truly is someone who has challenged me um, with his faith for with his love for the Lord um, with his clothes on the floor <laughs> he's just challenged me in many ways His he's
1: just... incredibly masculine jawline
0: um, facts big facts um, but uh, Kyle is a loan officer and he works in the banking industry and he's amazing he spends you know a lot of his time making people's dreams come trues come trues making people's dreams come true and that happens every
1: once in a
0: while <laughs> it does um and he's great he um i think he has a lot to say that people want to hear and so how fitting to have you be my first guest on this show so, today, Thanks, babe. you're welcome. Today, we are going to talk about what it means to navigate the desert. And this is a conversation me and Kyle um, have had together.
1: Been oh, forced to have together.
0: Yeah, really. Yeah. And th- I think this is the first time we've really made it a cohesive conversation of like putting all the pieces together.
1: <laughs> let's hope it's cohesive. <laughs> yeah,
0: let's hope that it's cohesive. Um, But I think we've talked about bits and pieces of what the desert looks like. Um, And I think we know what the desert looks like for each of us. But babe, how would you define an emotional desert? Oh, by the way, we are referencing um, the Bible (laughs) in this. So if you're thinking, when we say the desert, we're talking like Exodus. So yeah, yeah.
1: we're we're, we're talking about the... The juxtaposition that we can all have, whether we believe in Jesus and have faith in God or not, about the idea of being enslaved that the Israelites had, leaving bondage into a desert on the way to a promise. So, kind of stuck, you know, in between two promises, <laughs> mm. almost. Um,
0: almost like in between two men. Like, you know, the last man was no good for you, sis. Mm-hmm. So you you had to let him go, but God has not yet given you the man deserving of your time and affection.
1: Yeah, and, and how do you navigate that in between season? And I mean, that can look like a number of things, but mm. in in our life, it's it's looked like a lot of very tragic things. Yeah,
0: <laughs> tragic is not the word. It's something something a little more Ugh. a little more. Oomph. Um, I, so I would define the desert as having to live with. something you thought you could not live without you know like I think that the desert is like the moment that you're like oh shoot I gotta live without this thing for real like no but this thing is part of who I am this thing is is how I function this thing is how I breathe it's literally like my spiritual emotional oxygen how do I exist without it um I also think the desert is a time when God forces us to realize like what we've been idolizing Mm -hmm. um, and not just externally, but like within ourselves, you know, because uh, we'll get into it. But for me, I idolized my strength. I idolized my independence Mm -hmm. and God, whoo boy, he took that thing away from me so quick. (laughs) (laughs) He did not care. He's like, let me, let me hold that for a second.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I think deserts are really good for pointing out what you really fear. and whether we realize it or not, I think that very often what we fear is what we really worship. Mm. If you fear God or rather, and not in the way of like, oh, I don't want to go to hell, but hopefully in the way that um, the gospel has been communicated to you that there's this absence of intimacy and that's what is worth fearing, um, then, you know, your life will reflect that. But when you get into the desert, um, all the comforts of civilization and civilization is stripped away And you Mm -hmm. recognize what you're really afraid of. Um, And for me, I thought, in civilization, I thought that my fears looked a very certain way. I used to think, you know, there were things that happened in the desert, and I can literally remember saying to other people, almost bragging, oh, I would never do this. Mm. I would never be like that. And I cannot imagine, like, how do people get to the place where, like, they really care that much about money. You know, yeah. like what? All we care about They're is Jesus so around here.
0: superficial.
1: Yeah, like why does, you know, who really cares about sex? Like, you just need to be emotionally, you know, compatible and like, it's not all about that stuff. Oh, yeah. And I hate, I hate dudes that are only about like trying to get what they want. And, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, you know, and like, then life happens. Some sex sure would be good, wouldn't it?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, So me and Kyle are going to share a little bit about what our desert has been, um, in our relationship, which really correlated to our individual deserts because God be doing that too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when me and Kyle first got together, um... We were abstinent. So we'd been dating for two years and we had never had sex. <laughs> Believe it or not, we had never had sex. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what else? Guys, like reminiscing with like sadness, like, wow, we really did that, but did we have to? Yeah.
1: <laughs> a literal dry place.
0: <laughs>
1: but, you know, so we were in a real desert.
0: L- Stop. Nothing <laughs> not wet not around. A real, not a real desert. Well, you can't speak about that. But, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be clean. Um... But we had just gotten married, and I think that the desert also exposes our expectation mm.
1: because, like, we mm. were
0: like, oh, we are the perfect Christians. We are the people who, you know, are going to be great, and we're going to be an example, and we're going to be an example of Black love and Jesus' love together, and we're going to, you know, we're going to help people. And, and part of that was because we both knew that we had a calling in our lives to serve people and to love people. But I think for us to do that truly out of a place of, love and a a place of care for other people and not a place of care for how we looked Mm -hmm. God was like let me humble y'all real quick let me give you let me sit down for a second let me give you a little lesson um I mean Kyle are very transparent about a lot of things obviously there's certain things that are just for us but um also on the other end We do want to share like the reality of how hard it is to navigate relationships and marriage as young adults, as black young adults, as black young adults Mm -hmm. who are Christians, as black young adults who are Christians and professionals (laughs) um, (laughs) in non-Christian settings. And so it's important for us to share this. But back to the story. We had been abstinent. Um, It was very difficult to do. We got married
1: at what, 22, 23?
0: Yeah, we got married at 23.
1: Uh, Yeah. Now we got a baby. And now we got a baby. And we were married really young.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were, and and we didn't realize it at the time because stupid world societal standards is yeah. like by twenty two, I want to have four kids Good and God. three houses. And so like, young. And um yeah, so we had been abstinent, and um I remember had just going really through hell like with my process of finding birth control. Um, So probably six months before we got married, I started trying out different birth controls. Um, I tried out Morena, and it had a really negative effect on me. and by negative like suicidal thoughts, gained sixteen pounds in fourteen days, um, have boils under my skin, mm-hmm. mood swings, all the
1: side effects that the nice lady in the infomercial like speeds through at the end. Yeah, no, but seriously,
0: but seriously like profuse bleeding, all of that, and so. Um, I was hoping and, like, fervently praying, like, Jesus, look, Lord. I know I wasn't the best person before, but, you know, I turned my life around for you. So, like, I kind of feel like I deserve to have, like, bomb sex mm. on my marriage night. So, Lord, like, let this let this work out. Let uh, your Holy Spirit mm. cleanse my body <laughs> of whatever chemical is ruining everything. Mm. Um, but we went on our honeymoon and... So I got my period before... Oh, wow, we're getting real explicit. That's okay, honestly. Um, got I got
1: your period on the wedding day, right?
0: Well, I got my period the week before the wedding, which I was like, look at my Jesus. Look at my Savior, okay?
1: we're going to come in with a fresh <laughs> start.
0: Right, right. and mm-hmm. I, I can't with you. Um, but then um, I got my... So I got my period a week before the wedding, and then I was, like, really happy about it. And then the day of the wedding, I was just off. Like, my my nerves were everywhere. I was moody. And I was just like, well, maybe this is just jitters. And maybe this is, like, you know, whatever. And literally an hour and a half before I walked down the aisle, just bleeding. Like, I ain't bled last week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Like, I didn't have a whole cycle less than a week ago.
1: Yeah. The blood of the lamb.
0: <laughs> Stop. <laughs> and so. Flowing. And it, I was like devastated. And so I remember like walking down the aisle, Loki being like, wow, I'm about to marry this guy. Wow. Look at all my friends are so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I'm about to marry this guy. Dang. I'm really on my period. Like my brain is just everywhere. And it, in my head, I was like, oh, well this is going to be a story of like conquering and like greatness. And. And really it it wasn't, it was, it was a story of humility and it was a story of suffering and a story of of reminding of God reminding me, um, that my allegiance is first to him. Um, so, uh, the story continues. We go on our honeymoon, um, I'll condense it for the, condense it for the sake of this podcast, but I ended up bleeding for forty two days, mm-hmm. 42 days straight.
1: I remember thinking at 40 days, oh, it's gotta be over. Like oh. you only flooded the earth for 40 days. Lord.
0: So you where's can't be the flooding. Rainbow <laughs>
1: Yeah. You can't be flooding the house <laughs> for longer than 40 and days. And it was,
0: it was, I mean, I, many of you guys don't believe in spiritual attacks, but I knew for me, that is what that was. Um, and so it was. It was difficult, right? Because like here I am. I had waited so long for this moment, and not only can I not engage in something that I'm longing to engage in, like I am feeling like whatever the feminine version of emasculated is, effeminated. I don't know. Um, I, I'm feeling all of that with my husband, because I can't. I can't love him the way I want to. I can't show him the love that I want him sh- to show him because my body is just it just won't work, you know? Yeah. Um, I
1: mean, we weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, oh, no, but we, I mean, Couldn't you know, we, we trusted can both... in the car, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she's serious about that. We used to, we had to really decide to not drive places together. Yeah. And maybe, maybe not down the street, though, I don't know, down the street might have done it too, but, like, <laughs> if we're going to go to Raleigh or d- drive somewhere more than an hour, it's like, we got to drive separate.
0: Thanks. Because... because.
1: I'm not that
0: safe, and we will find a cul-de-sac. Yeah,
1: there's, there's a cul-de-sac. There's uh, the hills have eyes. No, there's stop. something, somewhere where we can um, do yeah. things, and th- so we were. I mean, but we were pretty committed, and we were very, very and still am, which you find. Uh, I was about to curse. I know
0: you were with
1: your beautiful um, presence Thank and you, your baby. spirit. Mm, my God, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but we were very attracted to each other. Yeah. we were very, very compatible in yeah. a way that was very electric, and we were very excited about mm-hmm. the certainty being able of, to
0: imbibe. Yeah, y'all. of
1: of what that would look like.
0: Yeah,
1: um, in the fullness of marriage, and I don't know if it, in and of itself, was an idol necessarily, but
0: I don't think. Yeah, I don't think sex or sexual intimacy was an idol for either of us. I think control was, right? Yeah. Like, that's what I lost. I lost control of my body. I Mm -hmm. lost the ability to Mm -hmm. control how pleased you were with me. Um, Physically, I lost the ability to present myself in a way that I wanted to present myself. Um, And control had always been an idol for me, Mm -hmm. you know, because—and that's really an idol and— something that many people run to when they've been rejected, when they've been abandoned. Um, Anything that makes you say, I will never let anyone do that to me again, Mm. um, breeds the desire to be perpetually in control. How do you feel like um, our relational desert, like the, the things that we went through in the beginning of our marriage um, including this, intersected with, like, your personal desert? Like, what was your personal desert?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think for me, I mean, so there were a lot of things. There was our marriage. There was um, our intimacy and the lack thereof. There's all of the struggles of just first year, year and a half of marriage, which are hard for every single person, regardless of who you are. Yeah. Um, there was the reality of, of my job, which I won't go into details because I, I'm still at that job. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, in so many ways was its own desert and experienced things and still experienced things that most people, it would be very tough to bear up under. Mm. Um, and then beyond that, uh, my health started to fail. Yeah. So at yeah. 22, that was hard. 23 years old, I literally started losing my mind to the point where I couldn't remember my wife's name. I couldn't remember my mother's name. Yeah, I was yeah. throwing up. I probably lost 20 or 30 pounds. You were
0: passing out behind the wheel. I was passing wheel. out,
1: passing out behind the wheel, passing mm-hmm. out so often and so much that I started to get arthritis in my neck
0: yeah. from all
1: the times that I had hit my head. Doctors didn't know what was going out. on. They thought
0: it was I uh, mean, out, I would go days without yeah.
1: sleeping. Like literal three, four days in a row, just without sleeping, because um, I couldn't. I had no appetite, I was throwing up and and then I was just losing my mental faculties, which for me and anyone that has known me, I don't, I am a prideful person. But the way in which my pride manifests is not necessarily typical. People think that I'm very prideful about my looks because some people think I'm attractive. Because
0: you're fine.
1: I think I'm ugly. Anytime I talk about me being attractive, it's just like I'm just trying to do the the positive voice thing. But the one thing that I can say I've always had a deep (laughs) pride about is my intellect. From a young age, I've been really really intelligent he, i was reading he still is i was reading at a college level like you know when they do the ar points or whatever oh you that's a 4.1 you're reading that that book is a 4.1 and it's worth this many points you know in in second and third grade i was reading the 12.1 stuff I was reading. and he's the not stuff. lying
0: you guys he is not exaggerating
1: <laughs> yeah me and my brother read our whole middle school library from one end to the other uh, um, I can read too. five or six books a week. I have, I'm have i busy now, but I still read three books a week now. Mm. And school's never been hard, and math's never been hard, and I used to be able to do, you know, really complicated formulas and things in my head. And so I had existed in this privilege that I wasn't even really aware of. My yeah. wife helped me see how privileged I was. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, for me to lose my mind, to lose the ability to read, to comprehend where I would literally be scared for someone to ask me a question because I was so ashamed of the reality that, like, I did not know if my brain was going to be working correctly or not. Mm -hmm. And for someone who's used to being able to do a certain amount of things to lose the ability to, like, remember your mom's name and things like that, that was tough. So there were a bunch of compounding deserts at the same time. But I think for me, the biggest thing that God was trying to get at was my, my idolatry of equity, mm. that everything for me was quid pro quo, quid pro quo, meaning, you you know, like you, you give a little to get a little. Um, and I always thought that You know, my relationships in all facets were inputs and and outputs. So if you give this, you'll receive this. If you're abstinent, then you'll receive this really wonderful response. If you work hard, then you'll get the things that you deserve. If you do X, you'll get Y. And I always believe that if you did X and you didn't get Y, it was because you really didn't do X. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and for me... It all came down to really the idea that, um, I mean, the Lord took a a circuitous route to get to it, but I was just enslaved. I was, yeah, I I was enslaved to the idea of never being a son and always being a servant. That was Mm -hmm. just my goal. And I was emotionally broken.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was so... Ashamed of my brokenness, that I refused to see it. And so God literally broke me physically so that I could have like this clear picture of what I looked like emotionally.
0: Mm, and that's a word. That's a word.
1: I guess. Um, <laughs> and it was hard. Yeah. So, but I think that that's what it was for me. I can look back on it now and be like, oh, thank God. Like, that was so good for me. I would not take, it was about two years almost. Yeah. So this wasn't like two months of like being sick. This was two years of being so sick. The
0: last year of us dating and then the first year of us being married. And Mm -hmm. it's it's funny because I was um, at my brother's house last night and I was like, look at this picture of Kyle. And he was like, wow, he looks sick. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) yeah, he was. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People didn't even know I was I mean, I would be at work and I would have good days and bad days. And so when I knew that I was having a good day where I could really think I would be working for maybe 16 or 18 hours. I would work till four in the morning and try and work myself ahead of the next day so that when I had a bad day and I couldn't think I could pretend to work and mm-hmm. still be caught up and still be and still be what I felt like I needed to be. And i was still the most productive member of my department. I broke records and did all of that. But like, that just goes to show you how enslaved I was to the idea of, of serving and not really caring about what my emotional well-being was.
0: Yeah, and that really played into my insecurities and my fears that told me You know, you need to earn affection. Mm. You need to, um, if you get affection, it's because you deserve it. And if you don't get affection, it's because you don't deserve Mm. it. And so just make sure that you deserve it, (laughs) you know? And so um, I think that my inability to engage with you um, sexually and romantically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: Excuse me. It's okay. I'm sorry.
0: Bless you. Um, I think my inability to engage with you in that way was God really reflecting the reality that, like, I was trying to earn his affection to. Mm. And I was, like, trying to earn his love. And, like, even now I struggle with that, just being, like, and not consciously, like, look, I'm about to go out there, do this thing, earn mm. God's love. But I think that um, just having to be, like, you know, like, I can't, Kyle loves me, period. And if... <laughs> Another 40 days goes by. He wants to be with me. He sees me. He knows me. He sees my inherent worth. Yeah, we have our arguments, but, you know, at the core of it all, I know that you love me. Um, And I had to come to that place with God. And so God really took my ability to be intimate, really my ability to to um, offer that Mm -hmm. intimacy because I feel like God was like, look, you don't actually offer me anything. I just want to be with you because I want to be with you. Um, yeah. How do you feel like the desert for you, um, affected your mental health?
1: I think that it, it made me question for probably the first time in my life. It made me question I don't want to say my sanity, though there were moments where I did think I was going insane. And that was mainly because I was sick and I was literally hallucinating. So there were conversations that I thought I'd had <laughs> with people that I thought existed that never existed. So that actually was no, tough. T- <laughs> okay. um, so, but forgetting that, which was just a medical issue, um, I believed... And I do believe now, but in this season, I no longer believed that God was the God of the harvest. Mm. And that what you planted, you reaped. Mm. And I did not understand how what I had planted in faithfulness. The world would praise me for the things that I'd planted. Oh, yeah. Um, The truth is that the world praises us because they don't know our hearts.
0: Yeah. And
1: I wasn't an evil man by any stretch of the imagination. But I think God God saw the heart. And while I yeah. did a lot of really good things and a lot of things that he was proud of and that I can be proud of to this day, um, I planted a lot of seeds that could only produce bitterness, that could only produce slavery. So mm. it affected my mental health in the sense of it forced me to acknowledge how sad I was.
0: yeah. Um, and a lot of men, specifically a lot of Black men, a lot of Black Christian men mm-hmm. don't do that, you know? And that's what drives me, like little segue, that's what drives me nuts about sermons that are like, don't follow your feelings, mm. don't listen to your feelings. And it's like, don't you think that the fact that we have emotional responses to everything is a part of God's design
1: I mean, I I do now. You
0: just made a mistake. (laughs) When
1: I first met you, and in the beginning of our relationship, which was really hard, you've always been very emotionally aware. Oh yeah. Very very emotionally intelligent. (laughs) Um, I say this all the time, and she never believes me. But Kaveh is one of the most intelligent women I've ever met. I and I walk through this world it's probably not correct and it's really not healthy, but it is still the truth of my reality in ways that I'm still trying to grow. And I'm still trying to walk the line between acknowledging the gifts that you have and also having humility and, and, all of that. Yeah. But I, I said, I remember my dad asked me what I loved about Kobe so much. I said, dad, she may be one of the few people that I've met that I honestly believe may be smarter than me. Mm. Um, and when, when my dad heard that he understood what I was saying, yeah. um, not that you, who cares about whether you're intel, you know, like smart count or whatever. I on my
0: fingers, guys. She,
1: she can't do mental math. I
0: can't.
1: She, she <laughs> uses her fingers. She might throw out some toes if she's really getting there. Yeah. So I don't even mean like, oh, she can, she can find an algorithm and put a theorem together or whatever. No. But her emotional intelligence is astounding. I mean, it truly is. And if you think about Jesus, who is maybe the most, not maybe, the most important figure in history um, from almost any standpoint, whether you're an atheist or a Christian, um, if you're a scholar, you probably have to come back to Jesus at and, some point. Yeah, and say, wow, there are very few figures in history that have done what he did. And if you look at him, what did he have? If you read scripture closely, he was probably an emotionally intelligent genius like a savant of emotional intelligence. You
0: better use be savant.
1: It, well, yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, to see people's pain and to immediately process into what their deep-rooted fears are mm. is something that is divine. Mm. And Kobe has that. I mean, she really does. And it was frustrating because I did not believe her. Mm. Because I'd never met anybody that knew more about me than me. I'm a very mm. cerebral person. Yeah. I go pretty deep. I've always gone yeah. deeper with myself than the average okay. individual. So I've never had someone ask me a question and me not really know the answer, especially if it was about me. But Kobe asked me questions about me. I gave my answers and she would tell me that I was wrong. Not in like, not in a, um, an abrasive way, but she kept, she she felt like there was more. She felt like it was something else. And I did not believe her. And I hated her for it. That's whoa, um, that's real. In our relationship, previous to our relationship, I hated her for it. I began to respect her for it a little bit, mm-hmm. only because God told me in prayer to do so. Mm-hmm. To do so. Um, and then in our marriage, it made me bitter towards her. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, I felt like she didn't believe me. Yes. And I used to be a liar. Before I was a Christian, I lied all the time. Mm-hmm. It was my whole existence. All I did was manipulate people. I was like a spider. Just putting people in my web and placing them in my life. And I would say things and do what things.
0: What a metaphor, because webs are so beautiful, but they're meant to trap people. Yeah, I, well,
1: I cared people. most about making sure that everyone fit into my narrative the way that they should. Mm-hmm. And I would research, like I read psychology books when I was in fifth and sixth grade. Yeah,
0: he was, I was
1: popular on yeah. purpose. I wasn't popular because I was charismatic. I would read books about how to socially manipulate people. Mm-hmm in fifth, sixth grade because I was tired of being bullied. <laughs> and, and so there's a whole Good lot of year. stuff there. But clearly, if if I could lay out the timeline of my life, any reasonable person would say, You must have severe severe emotional trauma. Mm. Any reason any person with a pulse and a and a brain would say, There's no way you could go through all these different things and be okay. Yeah. I somehow convinced myself that I had gone through all these things. And I was not just okay. Yeah. I was better than everyone else.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that is
1: so crazy. this desert was like, the desert brought me to crushing to my knees the reality that I was sad, mm. that I was perpetually depressed, mm. that I was angry, mm. angry at the world for what, for the ways that I felt like the world wouldn't let me be, what I felt like I could be. Oh. Specifically white America, I had a lot of bitterness towards white people. Yeah. Um, but also Black people, too, and everybody. Yeah. Um, and that I was angry at myself for the ways that I couldn't make my reality mm. what I wanted it to be. Yeah. Everything that did that not control. happen, yeah, was a failure, and I was ashamed of it. And mm. i was so ashamed that I hid it so deep in my heart for myself, and I wrapped it with with stone and with coldness, and with this robotic analy- analysis. With
0: routine, With really? routine. Yeah, yeah. And
1: God broke me.
0: Yeah. And
1: he broke all my routines. He He put me in situations that I could not intellect my way through.
0: Yeah, you couldn't anticipate, you couldn't prepare for.
1: It didn't follow a formula. Yeah. There were no inputs that equaled this output. Yeah. And it, so it made me question the reality of how how successful living my life that way was yeah. and it honestly i would not be here today if it weren't for Kobe i would have killed myself a few times over um, i i don't i think from the time i was maybe 11 years old to the time i became a christian i had not shed a tear no not even 11 8 years old i remember my dad telling me he was giving me a spanking once when i was 7 or 8 and halfway through it I did something that scared him, scared him so much that he stopped spanking me. Yeah,
0: he told me about
1: it. I, actually. I tightened. He said I tightened up and it was like I just went cold and I was crying and I immediately just stopped crying. And it was like I just decided to not feel. And it, it sparked something in him. And he's a very wise man. So I'm glad he yeah. did this. And he stopped spanking me yeah. because he felt like it would have been detrimental to continue even spanking me. So then he he would tell me he was disappointed and and stuff. And to this day, hearing that my dad is disappointed in me, it's like, oh, my God, please just beat me. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, as you're saying all of that, um, I was just thinking about how the desert forces us to um, reevaluate how we define things. Mm. You know, because we came into marriage thinking oh, this is about to be like a really fun partnership and we're going to be superheroes and like save the world. Mm -hmm. And like when Mm. you said you hated me, I, and like, that's why I love you. Like, I love the fact that you could say that um, because I think a lot of people feel that towards their spouse and not like an overwhelming, like, I hate your existence, but like, man, I hate that you bring this out of me. I hate that God has called you to shed light on this darkness because you matter to me more than anyone else matters to me. And now you get to see the most shameful part of me. The one person I want to impress the most is the person that God's going to use to touch the things inside of me that I've, I've locked away. No, like I don't want them to see that. I don't want them to touch that. I don't want them, you know, to experience that part of who I am. And I think that like that not saying hate is a natural part of marriage, like hate of the person's existence. But I think hate is like a natural response to what God has called your spouse to do in your life.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Because like, it's your, you're dying. It feels like you're dying. And I know there's someone out there listening to this who's married or in a relationship and you're like, Oh my God, God, I'm doing everything you tell me to do. I'm listening, but it feels like I'm dying. And it's supposed to feel like you're dying. Yeah. It's supposed to feel like you're dying. A word. It's, it's two bodies dying to become one. You know, it's two people dying to, to become one. Um, And for me, Kyle was I am very emotionally led and I resented that for most of my life because people just called me emotional and crazy and sensitive and all of those things. And and I'm grateful that God put me in a profession that allowed me to um, see the value in my inherent existence the way that mm. i just naturally processed the world was like yeah. not only valuable but like necessary in people's lives so like if people were gonna keep being on this earth that like i just had to be myself yes and that was so redemptive to me and that was so healing to me and and that's why i love this profession and that's why i'm doing this podcast um
1: you know what this is growth for you Kimberly, you just said that what? to all of America. I don't know. <laughs> all not of, all of America. All of the do this. Yeah, that's so
0: true. It you know, uh, really yeah, is true. You
1: are uniquely purposed, uniquely gifted. And everyone is. Everyone's a special snowflake, and I get yeah, that. Yeah, but, um, And
0: yeah. you won't feel that in the desert. No. Nope. Right? Like, the desert makes you— First of all, the desert exposes what you're really hungry for. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't remember exactly what, where it is. Is it in Lamentations? It's somewhere in the Bible, y'all. It's not in Lamentations. If it's
1: Exodus, it's either Exodus or Numbers. What's after
0: Exodus? Numbers? Numbers. Yes. So um, Israelites are complaining. They're like, God, your dad preached on it the other day. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, we have no bread. I think it's
1: Numbers chapter four.
0: Yes. He's like, we have no. They're like, we have no bread. We have no water as they have manna stored up and they drink in water. And it's like. In that moment, God exposed that, like, their bread and their water was something other than actual bread and water. Yeah. It's like, God, I just need your love, and I just need your purpose, God, Mm -hmm. and I just need your Holy Spirit to be with me. And then we get those things, and we're like, God, you're not with me. And he's like, I am, but what you're looking for is something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. They say, like, you know, why did you bring us out to the desert to starve? We could have starved back in Egypt. Like, we could have died back in Egypt. (laughs) Like, if you was going to kill us, You should have killed us back there. Right. Right, Which is exactly how you and I felt.
0: Yes. I remember, you know, we were having
1: this, like, crisis of, like, why are we even together?
0: Big old facts. The desert will make you question why you left the thing that was killing you. Yeah. Like, we
1: prayed. I prayed for you. You prayed for someone like me, sort of. (laughs) Um, But uh, however we got there, when we met, when we got to the place where we were ready to get married, we recognized... We had been looking for each other our whole lives. Yeah. And then we got each other. And it was like, Uh,
0: do you take returns? Um, Yeah, I got my receipt. Every day's a gift,
1: (laughs) but you got to save those receipts sometimes because I'm like, we could give this one back real quick.
0: Yeah. No, but yes, 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 yes. That is so real. The desert, whether it's your job, whether it's a friendship, whether it's reconciling with your family, you're going to want to step into something and be like, you know what, this is beautiful because the Israelites left. Like freely, they left wanting to leave. They wanted to leave slavery. They wanted to go into freedom, but they didn't consider what it would mean to get there. (laughs) And they didn't consider that like, there's some things that are going to have to die in you before you can get the thing that you actually want and the thing that God is trying to give to you. And what God wanted to give us is like true intimacy in marriage. Mm -hmm. What God's trying to give us is true love for ourselves and true love for him. And so anything that mimicked, intimacy for ourselves that wasn't real he stripped it yeah right he anything that that wasn't actual love for ourselves i i thought i loved myself because uh i was comfortable in front of other people but really that comfort in front of other people was a hunger for validation right and so god put me in a place where i couldn't make friends Mm -hmm. god put me in a situation where I like literally had social anxiety. God put me in a situation where I didn't feel comfortable being myself so that I could reconcile all the bad things about myself so that I could learn how to love all the bad things about myself. I, I, um, I don't say this saying that like everybody should go through depression. Yay. But like, I think that in the midst of all the stuff we just expressed, I was going through like a really deep, dark depression. And, and Kyle literally held me as I like wept through the night. And it was difficult. And I questioned my existence. And I questioned why I was here. And I was like, God, why did why did I do everything your way only to be left like this?
1: Come on, you know, you blessed woman. <laughs> if you don't, we're about to take up offering. I
0: like, I'll give you my cash app handle. Um, but I was like, God, why did I do it your way if I'm not going to get what you said I was going to get. I could have been hoeing. I could have been, you know what I'm saying? Um, That was the past. But, and I think that there was resentment towards the Lord. And just like you, I think God was breaking me of that, like, transactional, like, oh, Mm. like, God, I did this. So I deserve this. And God's like, first of all, there's some things in you that have to break so that you can actually enjoy the harvest and not be enslaved Mm. to it. Yep. I need you to be able to pick up the fruit of your seeds and not worship it. Yeah, I need you to be able to pick up, go out, pick up the, the seeds, uh, the fruit of the seeds that you planted seasons and seasons ago. And I need you to be able to not just sit there and worship it and ooh and at it, but I need you to actually use it to create something that's going to serve other people. Yeah, um, And for me, if I would have stayed, if I would have not married Kyle, um, there are so many things in me that wouldn't have come up,
1: or if you had married me and everything had gone the way that we'd planned. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Gosh, what a horrible.
0: Yeah. Jesus and I wouldn't. Be the... We'd
1: just be divorced in nine years. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it all would have bubbled forth right. and exploded like in like right. a volcano, and we'd kill each other. You know? I'd be on CNN.
0: <laughs> if you're looking for his bodies in the swamp with yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think that it's. Um, I thought about talking about this with Kyle because I think that both of us are... We're on the tail end of the desert. You know, I think that... I think that we're like, wow, we've been through a lot. We've done this thing. Not just together, but individually. But I think that... um, I think that the desert is something I want to speak into in, to other people's lives, whether you're a Christian or not. I think every single person goes to the desert, and the longer you avoid the desert, the longer the desert season gets. Okay, someone didn't hear me, so I'm going to say it again. Mm-hmm. The, longer the, you the, avoid, <laughs> the longer you avoid the desert season, the longer the desert season gets. And I think there's so many people who have put off feeling for years mm. and they're going to hit their mid forties. They're going to hit that early fifties when their kids are gone and they're empty nesters. And they're going to be thinking about the thing that happened to them when they're eight. Mm. They're going to be happy thing, about the thing that happened to them when they're six and they're going to be, um, uh, you know, I don't want to speak that over them, but I think that many people are incapacitated, um, and in their ability to serve and love other people, Because here you are 50 years in life and it's the first time you're really being attentive to your emotional, spiritual and mental health needs, you know. And there are times that me and Kyle looked at each other and we're like, people joke and say like, oh, you guys are so mature. And we like look at them and we're like, yeah, that's because we've been through a lot. (laughs) Like, you know, they're like, you're so wise or you have such great things to say. And it's like, yeah, because... We suffered. Yeah, we both
1: <laughs> almost died before the age of 25. Yeah, right? a, a word Like, a word. my illness almost killed me. She almost died in childbirth. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and those are some of the least stressful things we've been through.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that God also had to break for us, and really for this generation, I think, God has to break the idolatry of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because we, we did it. You know what I mean? Like, I remember saying... At like nine, like I'm going to be married by the time I'm 24 and I was married at 23, you know, like,
1: married with we with a yeah. house. I, when I proposed to you, I, you know, I had bought her a house. I bought her a house in a ring. I was trying to stack the stack the odds in my favor, um, <laughs> like you know, job, at least course. say yes for the house. Um You know, but yeah, the house, the ring, the car, the job, the you know, we're both reasonably good looking, (laughs) on at least on paper. You know, we have nothing. We had all the stuff, all the things, especially for
0: people of color. We're you know, you know those like Instagram posts that are like, these are relationship relationship goals. goals." Like God, like put me in the number when you when you giving out things like this. Like we had all this stuff, but like our souls were rotting.
1: Mm.
0: You know, and God, part of my job is is. Walking alongside people as they decide to, like, let God and even let themselves love themselves. Yeah. You know, and I think that God was like, look, I'm going to take you to the bottom and I'm going to walk you back up to the top so that you know exactly how to do this for somebody else.
1: People mistake comfort for health very, Uh, very often. mm -hmm. Yeah, I I was one of those. I was comfortable, so I thought I was healthy. You you used to ask me if you you know you think you're you think you're healthy? I'm like I know I'm healthy. I'm healthy. Yeah, I'm the healthiest
0: dude you ever met. No sir, you're not. No, I I was
1: comfortable. You can be in the middle of death, and I mean, one of the last things you'll feel before you die is is comfortable.
0: Yeah. Right. Like so.
1: I mean, you don't have to be comfortable to be healthy, but that's what many, many people feel. They are comfortable wherever they are. They're comfortable being numb to the pain. They're Mm -hmm. comfortable um, in whatever it is that is their drug. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And they think that they're healthy. Yep. And sure enough, as surely as the sun rises and it sets in the evening, it'll come back around and you find yourself having all the things that you said you wanted Many people haven't gotten those things, so they they still think that once I get them, then I'll have all the things. God, let me
0: catch a husband, and and then I'll feel loved.
1: Yeah, oh, let me get the husband, let me get the money, let me get whatever, and then I'll have it. Let me get the wife, and
0: then I'll feel validated.
1: No one knows any of the people that have all that stuff and would say that they feel it. You know, like, I I work with millionaires. Like, you can't, I can't work, I don't talk to you unless you make at least 300 grand. (laughs)
0: dang why are you talking
1: these are the most depressed sad divorce having (laughs) unsatisfied people i've met yeah
0: yeah they have
1: everything they could want yeah and they're not happy right so they're comfortable yeah they're dying yeah
0: they're comfortable and and we were comfortable and we were dying
1: and now we're not so comfortable yeah we're living. We are living a little better yes. maybe we can get comfortable yeah. again lord bring the comfort back though i feel like I, I can think, handle the you know, comfort I, now
0: i think that there is a comfort i feel like the, the comfort is is internally placed you know what i'm saying because like there's not many things scare me you know what i mean mm-hmm. losing you leave, losing levi that i think that will always scare me i think that's normal and natural but like not many things scare me <laughs> yeah. like look I, not many things scare me. Uh, just I don't know how else to put it. Like tsunamis
1: it, and spiders. That's right. I'm not a, like I
0: started the the Healing Circle therapy, the Healing Circle podcast just because I was like, you know, I'm going to do it. And I never would have been that person. I would have been that person who like made a Pinterest board about it that was like super popping and never did a thing about it. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, like if I can do to th- go through this, I can do this. I'm not afraid, you know. And I think that that what happens when we persist in the desert is there's something that develops in us that does not only bear fruit in us but bears fruit in other people mm-hmm. and in our lives for generations if that makes sense. So yep. it's not just the people connected to us that it bears fruit in; it's the people connected to the people who are connected to us. Right? The Promised Land was not just um, a place for you know the people who got there, but really that faithfulness. Um, produced really a promise for everyone to come after that. Mm-hmm. And so like my encouragement to whoever's in the desert, whether it's a relational desert like ours or or whether it comes with work and whatever comes from turning away from your idolatry and your desire to worship things, to worship yourself and really anything other than God and, and health um When you turn away from that and you go into the desert, first you're going to be empowered, then you're going to be broken Um, and you're going to be broken for a while. You're going to be empowered again, but you got to get that through that broken period. And I think that I just want to say, keep going, not only for the sake of the people around you, but really for yourself, because there's a self that you have not met yet. Mm. I am nothing like I was before. You can ask anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I became a different person, and it wasn't overnight. It was moment by moment. And this person that I am now is exactly who today needs. Yeah. Like I have clients right now that I'm like, dang. If that one, if I didn't spend time with the Lord that one day two years ago, and I like remember the day, I'm like that. I would have nothing to offer this client. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And not to have it confused with the whole, oh, you have nothing to offer anybody unless you're depressed and you have this crazy testimony where you used right, to... Right,
0: right, right, well, right, I
1: used to run around the streets like an actual dog. People had a leash on me. And, you know, I didn't. I was eating out of trash cans. It was like, you don't have to, like... It didn't have yeah, to be like that yeah, for you yeah, to yeah, have yeah, something yeah. valuable to bring. Yeah. But it's more the, the idea, like, the whole desert came about because God was rescuing them from, from Egypt, which is this land of slavery. Mm. And... The truth is for many of us, we have lived like the Israelites had been in slavery for hundreds, about 400 years at that point. So these are generations that lived and died, never knowing, never knowing what it was like to be free. Mm. Very many of us are in the same place. So God brings us into the desert, not just so we can have this great testimony. And so we can maybe write a book about it one day and make some money or something like that. But because like for many of us, for us, Especially, you've lived your whole life a slave, yeah. and you think that you're free because you've never known anything else.
0: Yeah, come on. And the
1: desert comes along to to shake up the whole situation, not because God is is vindictive or angry at you or because He wants to break you, quote yeah. unquote, like in this really destructive way.
0: And you know, but the desert the, the desert is also there to um, help you see. How powerful that hunger for that thing that is not good for you is.
1: Yes, yes. Like Everyone thinks they have, thinks they they have to, self-control yes. until it's time to go on a diet.
0: Yeah, come.
1: Everyone thinks that they're not ruled by their animalistic desires until, like, you've gone two days without a cheeseburger or whatever.
0: Yeah, and yeah. you
1: know, and even in scripture, like, that's why we fast. We don't fast to get something from God. We fast because fasting reminds us how much we need God. Mm. Otherwise, we live our lives believing that we can actually save ourselves. We believe that our willpower is strong enough that if we just decided to be good, we could be good. That's a lie. And when we fast, we realize I can't even decide to not to only eat lettuce for the next two days. Come on. Like, I am so flawed oh my God, I really do need a saver. Like that's yeah, what a fast brings yeah. up. And that's what the desert brings up. Yeah. The desert brings up the reality that you actually cannot save yourself. And you are even not you in think control. Re- exactly. Yep. Yes. Because
0: where is their food coming from? They didn't know. The they didn't know when or how um, the food was going to come, but they had to just trust that it would come. And I think that the desert is always there to one, remind you of, the reality of your humanity but it also is there to remind you of the power of god's divinity
1: yeah and it's teaching you how to be free yeah because yeah. many of us don't know what freedom looks like mm. and it's tough yeah. like it's it's a hard-fought battle to be free but if you've lived in egypt for 400 years if you've lived if you've come into this world a slave enslaved by societies. Demands on you, um, enslaved by your family's demands on you, by the brokenness that they've experienced, that they passed on to you, by the things that have happened. All of us are wrapped in chains by what life throws at us from the moment we take a scream in our first breath. Come on, Pastor. And God invites us into the desert, right? Because they weren't taken, they they left.
0: Um, But he invites
1: us into the desert in order to teach us what it's like to be free. Not because you know, um, one of the one of the uh, talks that we listen to very often that is so wonderful goes into this deep dive into the Israelites in, in the desert, and he says this this phrase that is so, I think just key and encapsulates everything that we're saying here. like it's it's very easy to get God's people out of Egypt. Mm. very difficult to get. Egypt out of his people. Mm. That's why they're in the desert for 40 years. So not in the desert because, you know, it's only a two-week journey, right? But they're in the desert because they've learned... God is trying to purge them of 400 years of slavery. He's trying to teach Mm. them, okay, you used everything you did before was based on what value you could bring to the empire. Yeah. Now I'm trying to teach you that even if you can't make bricks, even if you can't make pyramids, even if you can't do all this work, you're still valuable. And... I'm going to provide for you. Mm -hmm. You've worked your whole life for everything you've gotten. Now, be in a place where you literally cannot work. Even if you were to put, you know, to start tilling the ground, it's a desert. Nothing's going to grow, right? So um, God is just trying to reframe the idea of what it even means to be. And the desert is this beautiful place. You can only call it beautiful once you're through it. But but from the other side, it's so clear how beautiful it is. But it's this place where God teaches us how to be free, how to be free from the bondage yeah. of emotional numbness. Yeah. Like, like for me, of just how the idea of just not feeling. How do we define
0: late. ourselves? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How do I? Do? Because Israelites define themselves by what they could offer, and God saying, "No, you are defined by who you are and who created you." And many of us are trying to figure out how to define ourselves by being married, by having kids, by what job I do. And God is like, no, look, I'm going to take all those things from you, or at least one of them. Um, I'm going to take the thing that makes you feel most valuable, and I'm going to show you that there is infinite value outside of
1: that. Mm-hmm. And that you can live without it. Yeah. And that you can thrive without it. Um, yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much, babe, for being on the podcast for being my very first guest i appreciate everything that you shared um Kyle's- i'll take my
1: pay and kisses
0: <laughs> that's all you're gonna get um but yeah kyle is really awesome if you ever want to reach out to him um feel free to do that what's your instagram handle
1: urban apologist
0: it's like urban underscore apologist right hmm So reach out to him. He loves to answer questions and talk to people about Jesus and whatnot.
1: Especially about scripture. Like I'm like, I'm I'm one of those Bible nerds. I used to be an atheist. I'm not anymore. I'm not, I'm not a Christian because someone made me. I'm a Christian because I think it is the most intellectually reasonable thing to be.
0: Yeah. He got, he he got some answers, y'all. If you're looking for answers, Kyle's a great resource. Um, Also, if you're trying to navigate the desert, you'll hear a little commercial in a second about the healing circle therapy and wellness coaching. Um, But I genuinely want to walk beside people, even if you can't um, commit to therapy. I just, you know, really want to hear what your desert is. Um, I think that no matter what, everyone is encouraged by sharing and by honesty and by vulnerability. So, um, you know, when you're done with this podcast, uh, rate review, subscribe. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts and we're also on SoundCloud right now. We're in the process of being on Google Play and Stitcher. But yeah, um, share. I really want to hear what your desert is. Feel free to email me. It should be in the little information box and share if there's anything else that you want to hear from us. Um, love you guys until The Circle comes back around. I'll talk to you guys later. The Healing Circle is now offering therapy and wellness coaching completely online. If you don't feel like you have access to culturally competent therapy or the time to make it to a therapist's office, Healing Circle therapy is perfect for you. Book your session at www.kthealingcircle.com.